So I would go to these meetings and people would share. And a lot of times I heard people who had an idea of what was the worst event that ever happened to them, yeah? Like getting pulled over and getting arrested for drinking or something. And that was the worst thing that ever happened to them. And, uh, and for a few years they had built this, you know, like an, an altar to that, yeah? And it, it was used by the mental process to make excuses for a lot of other things. And then they, let's say, somehow come into recovery, and after a year or two of recovery, they realize that was the best thing that ever happened to them. Yeah? Now, how could the worst thing be the best thing, unless it's neither? Yeah? How could the worst thing to you be the best thing to you a few years later? What changed? The worst thing? <laughs> no, you did. The meaning you were giving it in this, from this point of view of self-centeredness was this is the worst thing, it crit my style, you know, I got, I spent the night in jail, it threatened my job, I can't, lost my license. Then, from the recovering point of view, it was the best thing that happened because I wasn't going to stop doing what I was doing unless something like this happened, yeah? I wasn't. If I could keep getting away with it, I was going to keep getting away with it. And those are in quotes because you're not getting away with anything, yeah? People think they're getting away with something, but their mind is agitated. They, know, they have no ability to enjoy peace of mind, which to me is the greatest loss of all. Yeah. Not to be able to enjoy peace of mind is like the greatest loss. And some of us thinking we're pretty successful because we're not getting caught and we're getting away with murder and i got all this stuff happening. But your mind's agitated all day. Then you have no ability to enjoy an aspect of mind called peace. Because your mind's agitated. So, how much are you really getting over? That's what I thought. When I was out there using at one point, I was like a parasite, a prostitute. I was living with these women who were very, very rich. And they were huge coke dealers. They, they bought coke in Florida and brought it to the Midwest, to uh, Kansas City. And so, when they were hanging around Florida waiting for the deals, I was their little boy... And so I was, had tons of coke, lived in this beautiful place, drove a Porsche, had a pool. Yet, and I thought I was getting over. I swear to God, in my head, I thought I was getting over. Yet, I had lost all integrity, had no love for anyone, didn't could care less about them, and I couldn't care less about me, in a sense. Yeah? But my story was, I'm getting over. Look at, look at how I'm looking. I got all that coke I want and this and that. You know, but there was no, what I was losing was immeasurable. The possibility of enjoying peace of mind. Yeah? Of feelings of knowing surrender, serenity and comprehending peace. All of that was totally gone. And it was so gone, it was like it was not even a possibility. That's the, that's the how the mental process can do it. It's, uh, it's, it's strength is in denial of other possibilities. So when you're down in that situation, you're thinking you're up, basically. You don't even get how low you, you are. You're thinking you're riding pretty high. It's amazing. And then when it crashes, you realize you were never riding high. You realize you had no idea what was going on. Yeah. So this whole idea of the best, the worst thing is now the best thing can only happen if there was no real thing. Yeah. There was no worst thing. Like, oh, that's the worst thing. I've got it. I've captured it. This is the worst thing. And then suddenly, there's, a, there's another breed called the best thing. There's neither. It's we're giving everything the meaning it has. We're giving everything the meaning it has. That means the subtle things you don't see, like the thoughts and the feelings, you're giving meaning to that, too. 
Your mind's giving meaning to chairs, to people, to time and days, to uh, appearances, to cars. We're giving name and form to everything. But we're also giving meaning to subtler things called thoughts and feelings and energy moving through the body. And with some of those feelings, interpretations are way off. You may feel a giant surge of energy, and yet your reaction to it is extreme paranoia. Because what you aren't is afraid that it's going to die from that energy insertion. Yeah? But you're identified with what you're not, so you feel like you're going to die. That's the identification as self. That's the root of the dilemma. We're identified as a self, and that self represents a thought system, an interpretive system called self-centeredness, and we're just being used to funnel or or as a conduit to allow that thought system to give meaning to an event called life. And then we're reacting to it based on the meaning it's given us as the self. So we're thinking life's happening to me. Yeah? When only the only thing that's going on is life's happening, but we see it as it's happening to me. We're lost at that point. The mind is split now. Yeah? And then if it tries to find its wholeness and oneness and splitness, it's never gonna two's never gonna fit into one. It's too big. You know what I mean? You're not gonna slam it into oneness. But the whole point is to see, are you the two-ness? If you're not that, then that's that. Maybe you are that which you were looking for. And the way you were looking for it was causing you to be blind to that you are it. Yeah. That's what it does, doesn't it? If you take yourself to be an idea of mind, and that idea has a lot, a lot of opinions about you, and one of them isn't that you're the spiritual emptiness and clarity of the universe, it's not... You know what I mean? You may have an opinion that you want to have an experience that, but you're not seeing yourself as that. You're seeing from an idea of being a body. An action figure who had a past and who's going to have a future, who's the doer of all these things that are being promoted through life, called thinking, feeling, digesting, breathing, pumping the heart, moving the blood. And yet... Some of them we have to admit we have nothing to do with, but one subtler process, we believe we're the thinker of a very subtle process of the brain called thought. Yeah? We believe we're the thinker. Or we believe we're the feeler. Yeah? In other words, feeling arises in consciousness, and then the mind's aware of it, but now there's a feeling that you're the one who's aware of it. You, not as mind, not as spirit, but as a body or as a, a hybrid of a body and a and a spirit called a soul or somehow, but you're always brought back to the reference point of being a body because that's how the thought system thinks of you. It has to, it has a body to think about so it can fixate over it in time. When you were a kid, you weren't thinking much, yeah? At a certain point, you were just engaged with life and self hadn't become uh, stabilized, the, the sense of being a self. The self hadn't gotten strong enough to totally shut you off from the apparent beingness of consciousness to having an event here. You know? <clears throat> now it's pretty much shut most of us off. And so most of our awareness isn't about being conscious, it's about the thoughts of being the one who's conscious. <laughs> they may start at the same point, but they go in total different directions. As soon as it becomes about you... It has to deny the real what you really are. It has to, or it wouldn't fit. Yeah, just like in in, in alcoholism, P- 
people go into blackouts. This guy was at a meeting last night, like the first one, and he, he had just gone into a blackout. He'd never been in one, and he got arrested, and he was standing outside his car, but it was obvious he had been driving, and it sort of flipped him out, and he realized he didn't want to, that was unacceptable to him that he may kill somebody in a blackout. Yeah. But who was driving the car while he seemed to be in a blackout? Someone was driving the car, and when the cops said, will you please step out of the car, there was a someone that thought they were talking to him. And that someone said, all right, I'm going to get out. Yeah? Was there another sense of self while the seeming primal or uh, dominant sense of self was dismissed from too much alcohol take up, uh, intake or drugs? Was there still a functioning self that was taking, it, taking itself to be the one? Of course there was. If someone would have said, said uh, Dion, he would have went, yeah. yeah. He would have all the recognition of their talking about me. He'd have the recognition of all the thoughts that were going on at the point that the, he was the thinker of them. The same system would be in place. There would just be a different, there would be a different you. Yeah. And then he comes to out of the car and now the, part, the dominant you shows back up. It can't brook the idea that there was two of it. Or there would have to be proven to be none of it. You know? So it has to do what? Black out the other self. You know? Black out that patch of 12 hours where there was another self that was buying plane tickets and talking to its girlfriend and you know, buying stuff on the internet, whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's my, actually, I did better in blackouts with the self that was representing me in blackouts than I did when I was... Conscious, you know. I never got hurt, never got arrested in blackouts. It was when I was sort of aware I got it all. So that self, in a way, was a better functioning self than the one I seem to have been saddled with most of my life. Yeah. So why? So what would happen for thirteen hours? You're navigating a day. People say you probably your girlfriend probably doesn't even know, has no clue that it's not you. Yeah. Because it was just another self arose. Because there's a lot of them in there. If one just gets totally, there's a little pause and then another one arises. And when it arises, there's no sense that there was ever other another one. So that it's sense of unity, sense of continuity, sense of being independent keeps on going. It's all made up. It's all a product of the freaking mind. This pseudo-doer is just that, a pseudo-doer. You can't even take a shit when you want to take a shit. The thing happens and you better get to a bathroom. You know that most is are you are a reaction. That's what you are. And people always say, oh, I didn't want to feel that. But if they already felt it, the feeling already occurred. Now they have a statement, I don't want to feel that. As if I may have some say of, of going back in time and erasing that event of that feeling. It's like, it's an assumed, it's like I was sharing, I've been sharing every week for a while because it, it makes it so simple to me. I, you know, my hair was got, got long and I went back east and people were going, hey Paul, you're growing your hair. And I said, no, I'm actually not growing my hair, I'm just not cutting my hair. Yeah? I'm not taking a few hours a week to grow my hair and then, you know, taking a two more hours to digest my food, which I had nothing to do with it. But the language, and it sounded very innocent, yeah, but you so see the insidiousness of the language. It's assuming the language you're hearing the thoughts in and the language people are speaking to you with, it's implying you have something to do with something you have nothing to do with. And it's on a huge freaking scale. 
That's just an example about hair, and it's obvious that you don't grow your hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not hy- hydroponically happening. It's just growing. If you don't cut it over time, it just has that oomph. Yeah? But the sound of the statement was that I had something to do with it. Well, I'm telling you, expand on that idea. The thought system implies, infers, and actually assumes that you have a lot to do with everything. It, had, it assumes you have a lot to do with the process itself. It's deemed you to be the thinker. <laughs> it's down to you with that insane responsibility. All right, you're the, you're the manager of this giant herd of cats. Now, every time it doesn't go where you want it to go, you're going to get guilty and shameful about it because you're going to have a lot of guilt and shame. You're not going to be able to hurt the cats. You know what I mean? I'm only going to think pure thoughts today. Bing! A big boner appears or something like that. It's never going to happen. Because it's not your jurisdiction. You have absolutely nothing to do with it in a sense. Except with the idea of seeing it and then watching how how the mental process in its laziness, in the selfing, triggers the whole mind to make a leap from the pointing to the pointed. Yeah? So all the people, you know, like these talking Zen, all the teachings of fingers pointing at the moon, they're not the moon. Well, all the teachings of selfing, which we're under, we're in its classroom every freaking day. We've already run into a big teacher since we were about four years old, three or four years old. We've been taught by this mental process called selfing, day in and day out. Yeah. So here it is, it's pointing that there's a someone doing things, having things, it's in time, all like this. And you cannot produce that. It can't. Without your compliance, it won't seem to be so. Because it isn't so. The highest level it can reach is it can seem to be so, but it needs your compliance. And in a sense, our compliance has already been given to it a long time ago, because every thought is held as I'm the thinker. All the feelings are held as I'm the feeler. You've already given the compliance to it. You know, you may have little, you may have, oh, I want to protest, but you're protesting like they do now at the WTO or the IMF. It's eight miles away in some fucking park on Saturday. It's not disturbing anyone. The business is going on. There's no effect to the protesting. At this point, when you're protesting about your thoughts as the thinker, you're not going to have any fucking effect on it. Yeah? The, the protesting is part of the system. Because there's, the, there's the feeling that you're the one who's protesting. Self will try to get out of self, and that's a form of being in self. Yeah? If you're identified as what you're not, and you're taking yourself to be the thinker or the feeler, and you're trying to get out of the feelings that you want to, you don't want to be in as the feeler, you self is not going to get out of that structure. Self can't get out of self. Yeah. If I believe these feelings are mine, it's going to be very difficult to get out of those feelings because the same feelings will still be mine. Yeah. All the different. Uh, fibulations of the feelings will be basically on the same grid, mind, all the time. And the mind is giving more meaning to the feelings than the feelings are ever giving to the mind. The feelings don't have any meanings, they're energy. But the, the grid, the baseline, it's me, I'm the feeler, is giving them meaning all the time. Yeah. They're being interpreted by a mental structure that has tons of old ideas. Tons of conditionings, t- 
Tons of conditions that are not even based on past events. Just tons of freaking, like a cloud like the internet, with tons of ideas just waiting for the right thing to go by, like a feeling, and be held in this relationship on the feeler. And then all this meaning downloads into the feeling, seemingly. But it's coming through the conduit of the feeler. Yeah? And then you don't see that, and now the feeling seems to be a, a fucking with the feeler. But it came through the feeler to the feeling. That's what the Course in Miracles says. It's projection prior to perception. So here I'm perceiving a feeling, it's arising, or a thought, let's say, it's easy to describe. There's the thought, but I don't see that I'm in a structured mental framing of it. So the thought is held as it's about me or as I'm the thinker. That, right there, the feeling of being the thinker is the conduit for all those meanings to download, and then it seemed to be like the feelings bringing me the meaning. That the feeling was the harbinger, but the feeling is just a vehicle of the projection of mind. Could you imagine if you saw that and woke up to that? The possibility of being free of it dawns on your mind finally. It sees that it's the doer of it, in a sense. Not the Paul, but the mind is the doer of it. Yeah. And then from the mind's point of view, whatever mind has come to pass, it can undo. Yes? But whatever comes to pass through Paul may not be able to be undone by Paul. I think it's a fucking great news because it empowers you right where you are. This is not another passive, uh, that false form of, of acceptance uh, quote-unquote spirituality. It's incredibly empowering because you see the axis or the root point isn't you, it isn't the body, it's mind. Yeah? And if the mind wakes up to the fact of what it seems to be doing, then what can happen? Find out. The possibilities are gloriously immense. Yeah? What can happen? You may be able to travel this Saturday and you may be able to travel a lot lighter with nothing actually changing, except your view of it. Yeah. I don't see anything more empowering than that. That basically, the Saturday is really based on you. Not on the Saturday. Not on your circumstances and situations. Not even on your feelings or thoughts. It's based on you. Yeah. The you that you're not. Based on the real you which I would say isn't a you, it's a mind. Yeah. That's what it says in the Course, a beautiful statement. If you've never heard of the Course of Miracles, it was just like a download through a lady in the 70s, and a lot of few people have found a lot of value in it. It's got a very strange cadence if you read it, if you share it aloud with people. It's not of this place, that's for sure, the information. It's got some definite information from some other aspect of mind and the conditional mind we seem to be in. Well, it says a, one of many beautiful statements. It says, you and I are the dreamer of this dream. Yeah. You and I. Not mean you and I as Paul. We're the facilitator. The sense of being you is what makes the dream subjective. But the dreaming of it is you and I or mind. Yeah. And that we forgot that we're dreaming it. And in the forgetfulness, we've given everything we dreamt for thoughts, feelings, the power to affect us. Yes. How, what, what better diagnosis of, an, of, your, of your situation than that? A very succinct, beautiful diagnosis. 
you and I are dreaming this dream, we forgot that we're dreaming it, and we give it everything we dreamt, all the power to affect us. Wow, I would say that's pretty damn empowering, don't you think? You don't have to pray to some higher power or God to help you. You don't have to pray to that person to stop doing what they're doing to you. You start seeing that you're the source of it all. You're the light, in a way. Yeah. You're the light upon it, you know? Like Buddha said, you know? You're the, what did he say about the light at the end? But no, he said, you, no, you're going to be your own light. He said, there's no... Light to yourself. Yeah, yeah, there's no, uh, there's no lineage going on. It's going to be on you. Yeah. Don't you feel every time it's not, it's sort of a, almost like a disembowelment in a way. It's a weakening. And this victimization type feeling comes over us. That we're at the effect of all these things. Yet it just says very clearly, we're the dreamer of this dream. Which, yeah, all these things that don't have any inherent meaning other than what we give it. And that's the dreaming of it, yeah. We're the dreamer of this dream, but we forgot we're dreaming this place. We've taken ourselves to be a dreamt object, yeah. And if I'm in a let's say I'm in this room and there's a dreamt tiger, and I'm taking myself to be a dreamt object, I'm going to see that tiger to be real, obviously, yeah. <laughs> because I'm taking a dreamt object to be real. That's a dreamt object. I'm going to give that the meaning of being real. And that's going to fucking scare the shit out of me most of the time. No matter how, maybe it doesn't bother me day in and day out, but there's always going to be in there. That tiger's a tiger. You can rip my throat out at any minute. You know what I mean? And no matter how many books I read, how to cohabitate a small space with a tiger, it's not going to work, yeah? Because my reality is that's a fucking tiger. I know it's nature, which is very volatile. <laughs> and it's not going to look at me as a friend. It can attack me like that. How am I going to get relief from that impending doom and all that fear that it's generating? The way I'm, being, I'm seeing it is to see that not that it's a dreamt tiger, but that I'm the dreamt object. Yeah? Because if it's a dreamt tiger and I still stay the real object, then the next dreamt mongoose, I'll have to see that as a dreamt mongoose. This is a dreamt problem. I'll have to constantly keep applying something to make this idea that that's dreamt. But if you see yourself as the dreamt object, then you get to recognize all the other objects as dreamt. <laughs> it's much quicker. Why not? Why not let your mind go free range for a while? Stop thinking in these fucking structured chains of bondage. Yeah? The mind, the thinking, the feeling, the having, the doing, they're all rooted in this idea that you're the someone. And that someone now eclipses the fact of whatever, what all there is. And that all there is is right where you are. Like we were talking in this recovery meeting. You know, there's people that always say the problem has nothing to do with the, subject, the solution. But in fact... There is no problem and there is no solution. Yeah. To some people, what we call the solution recovery is the problem. They've been going in and out of meetings. They, it's not helping them at all in a way. It's, it's keeping them from their bottom that may actually promote a real shift. So there is no solution or problem. You are either entertaining something that causes you to be the actualization of the solution, that what you call or you're entertaining other possibilities that are using you to actualize the problem. Just like I was a fucking junkie running like a muck like crazy, 
And now, I'm not doing that stuff. You could say I'm a spiritual saint. <laughs> the only fact that those... The fact those two things are possible is because I was neither. And I am neither. Yeah. The mind was resting in one Petri dish. It produced effects. Those effects came out here, manifested. Then there was a reaction from the ignorance, which caused it to manifest even more, or this, and so on and so forth. And I, of course I want fucking relief from that, so I'll do almost anything. Drink, use, do whatever, sleep with people I don't want to, to get some kind of relief. Yeah. Yet, now the mind shifted out of that one modality, and now it's resting in another modality that produces also effects. But they're different ones. And therefore, and then the reactions are different, they're more responding. Yeah. So it's just like a change of, it's a, it's a total change of format, the mind's running a different program, in a sense. Yeah. But mind and mind alone hasn't changed one bit. It's just expressing here. And then so some people now have been resting in this Petri dish. They have a freedom. The problem doesn't exist for them, called alcoholism. They have a sense of this connection to life and a presence. Then they go back out, and it's cut off. They don't sense the presence. Now the obsession comes over them again. Now they have a craving to drink and use when they've been free from it for 20 years. Now they're going into very high-end uh, rehabs and it's not working. They're drinking as soon as they get out. And now they've been going in and out of the program for about two years now. Yeah? Because their mind got agitated again and it can't find its own source. Yeah? What it was taking to be obvious, which it was, is now not obvious. It's not obvious. Because here, everything is overrun by seemingly so. Everything appears to be true or false to us. Yeah? The us is the big player. Everything appears to be true or false to us. That's why in recovery they say we're a hundred men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. The Seemingly, alcohol also appeared to us as a hopeless to say the mind and body. It appeared to us to be that way. Then we get recovered, and now it doesn't appear to be that way. The only thing that happens here is things arise to the level of appearance. The only reality is what's seeing it. The only reality here is what's seeing everything that's arising. Yeah. Oh, the guest. Yeah. Really. The reality is the seeing of what, what, whatever it is that's arising. And there's subtle arisings, like energy, like thoughts, like feelings, but it's the seeing that's the reality. Yeah? And in that seeing, if, there's a, if something happens with the seeing where it's co-opted by a mental process called selfing, and it becomes obscured, now false evidence can appear to be real to you. The acronym for fear. You'll be seeing false evidence, and it will appear to be real. Real. It can never be real, because it's false, seemingly, but false evidence will appear to be real, and then real evidence will appear to be false. It'll go both ways. Yeah? You'll have real evidence. You'll have a moment of an aha, and this and that. You'll feel like so right, like an unspoken yes. Five seconds after the mental process is gone, it's tentacles all over it, it appears to be false. Ah, there's no freedom here, this and that. Yes. False evidence appears to be real, and then real evidence will appear to be false. <laughs> the only reality is the seeing of everything. Or the seeing of nothing. 
which is really an incredible leavening agent in the activity of seeing everything, is a little seeing of nothing. Seeing the emptiness of this whole place. Seeing your own cavernous mind in a way. Yeah. Here, time for a little uh, one sentence quote uh, that matches uh, what you're saying. Nisagarata uh, has a saying that really resonates with me. It says, uh, My mind tells me I am nothing. My heart tells me I am everything. And between these two extremes, my life flows. And it kind of captures yeah. it. You are know, yeah. everything, you are nothing. Yes. Everything just seems to be so. But what's the context of that is what's so. Yeah? And the context can express itself here through us. And that will leaven the experience of mind here. <clears throat> Instead of producing mental hells, it will travel lighter over situations. Yeah? And what you call you will feel better. There'll be a story, but it has nothing to do with that you. That you is just an afterthought or a, no- a voice box on the events of what's happening. But the mind's agitation will diminish. And the mind has a quality to reflect, and then it can start reflecting emptiness clearer. And then see its original face in that. Yeah? The mind will see its original face in awareness. And there's no one, nothing there. And which will give a great, become a great leavening agent when it's in this place of thingness all day. Yeah? We'll be able to travel lighter on a stabilized level. And why would, what? I would say everyone is looking for that, that one quote unquote advantage. It's the way they're looking for it that causes them to be defeated. They're looking for them as something they're not. You know, They're trying to get an advantage for themselves, and the real advantage is, comes from realizing you're not that. Yeah? It's not like getting as many advantages as you can for that. It's realizing you're not that's the greatest advantage. <laughs> yeah? And you'll see, really, you'll see the incredible uh, extended effect of the problem from the solution. You'll get relief... And that relief will now tell you what was the cause of the dilemma. The relief. There will be like an imprint on the relief. Not words, but you'll get it. It'll, you'll, the, the mind will digest it and translate it and realize that was, that's it. Like it said in recovery, they were damn close. Obsession with self is the root of the trouble. And yet now you see it a little different. It's identification as a self that's the root of the trouble. But you only get that view from the solution. And then the solution fills out its description. From the solution, then the mind, as like a stenographer, can start filling out the description of what you're not, maybe to pass it on to people. Yeah? Because I find that really the best message is the message about what you're not. Yeah? Because it's a dread when there's a message about what you are that's received by what you're not. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> it will now become a conceptual fucking idea you'll make something out of it and you'll now claim that you have an advantage for what you're not that's the dilemma I saw you know, I used to talk about it like you know you hear that you're a lion you're a lion you're a lion you're a lion but then it comes into this head and it gets translated in cheapness which is I can become like a lion that's not it you're a lion, you're a lion. Yeah, I really like that idea. But that idea isn't what you're... You've made it into something. The idea is I can get an advantage as a sheep. 
Like you're coming like a lion. Yeah, kick some ass. You're not gonna fucking cut my hair anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking hip hoof them out. You know what I mean? Can you imagine a, a sheep? Bah, bah. <laughs> All right, sheep. Take it easy. Bah, bah. <laughs> Think it's it's roaring. It's hilarious, really, if you look at it from afar. But this is we're questioning the ear that's hearing the message. Is it is it configured in a sheep-like manner? So is it going to make it something? If it is, instead of trying to alter that, override it, go in the back way. Don't talk about the lion. Talk about the sheep to the sheep. Yeah? And then if the sheep, may, by hearing about the sheep, realize, hey, it may not be that, that's being the lion. Yeah? It's the same event, but it doesn't go the circuitous route. Because this route gets lost. I've seen it over and over again with people. Yeah? This one, the back doorway, seems to catch it by surprise. Yeah? So you go to the back doorway, and you realize, hey, if I'm not a sheep, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to find out what you are. You are. It's going to intimate. Because here, this is a place of expression. Mind's expressing, man. Yeah? The most beautiful sensations and states can express through this apparatus or mental hells can express and or emotional hells can express through this apparatus. It doesn't matter the degrees, but the, the width and the breadth of possibility is unbelievable. We're just mostly exploring the one width, this, this side in a sense, the mental ills and the suffering, the preoccupation with ourselves and what's not happening. And we're very rarely are we experiencing these with any frequency. Yeah? It would be nice to have that broadcast start dominating. Yeah? And then you'd see it's neither of them. But it's sure nice to have all this leavened with a little of that. Yeah? So this is just questioning what you are. You know, who's having the feeling, bro? Because obviously the feeling's scaring the bejesus out of your system. Who's, who's the emblem on that system? Who's the mental emblem of like Dodge or Chrysler? Who's that? That's sort of in its position assuming it's like the runner of the engine. That thing, the car can run really well without that emblem on. You know what I mean? Maybe you're not the emblem. Maybe you're not the thinker. Maybe you're not the feeler. Maybe you're not the doer. Who knows? Let the mind run wild and see what happens. To me, if you give it an inch, it'll it'll definitely explore a mile. Go on and explore and explore and explore. Yeah, and there's a lot of possibilities that it can run into. Yeah. And in their expansion or expression, you realize what that false home you were living from. Yeah. So the seeing, which is 360 degrees, was forced to look through mental windows called self-centeredness. So you only got a little patch of what was available, yeah? And so you took the aperture to mean the whole, when it's just an aperture setting called self-centeredness. If you're not the center of that aperture setting self, then the aperture may expand open. And when it expands open, it just doesn't go like this, it goes like this, and you get to be seen. What you call Paul, the big seer, gets to be seen. Yeah? Not secondhand by listening to someone else talk about, but you'll see yourself as almost as another. Yeah? It just distills into one realization. Hey, I'm not that. Yeah? And then that's that. And then you're just in a position of finding out. 
start living and see what happens, you know? You're drawn to this, you may not be drawn to that. Who knows? You'll see the cards get shuffled and they get dealt and and then it's a new game because you don't know what's going on so you find out you're interested in it. Not like the same old, same old interpretation. You're open to possibility and now the mind's alert, yeah? And then what happens expresses the alertness. It's mind just projecting constantly. Freedom is just a projection of mind, just so sort of the same thing as bondage. It's a projection of mind. Yeah. I mean it's nice to start living as if you're not a body or something now and have the, some of the joy that you would expect would occur after the body gets dismissed, yeah? Be nice to wake up now and have an experience through a body, but not of a body. Yeah. It's like having a whole different life. Just like in recovery, it can only seem like you live two different lives, yeah? I had my childhood, then I had the addiction period from like 13 to 36. And then I've been recovered for 25 years. So I've had like three, two lives. Everyone gets two lives, you know, kid and then an adult. But I've had three in a sense. The total addict and now being free from that addiction. And then there's others now entering old age, you know, whatever. And there's a whole other possibility to arise now. I'm healthier now than I've been in 25 years physically, which that didn't set with my conceptual idea of what it was going to be like. And what happens is, when hand, like life's hand goes into your conceptual gloves, the glove just breaks. Because the threads aren't tight anymore. You're not a big believer in it anymore. Yeah? And then light just blows up the construct of the hand. It just, you know, this face sticks out, this sticks out. And all your ideas of how you think it was going to be, how it was, be, how it's going to is just get, it, light just, just, you know, it's like one of those nuclear explosions when the whole, it goes on the land and all the houses that were built and maybe they have for 40 years, they're just blown away. It's not as extreme as that, it can be, but everything, you, the concept, oh, you're going to be old and curmudgeonly and this and that, <laughs> breaks up. Oh, you won't be able to have any fun when you're... <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I can get half price at the movie, so I... <laughs> I've been waiting a long time for that. <laughs> they keep changing the date, ages. Now it's 64. But, you know, all these things happen. And you just and it's fun to see all those little false houses blown away, you know, because obviously you think how right you are. You definitely think you're right about how you're feeling about what's going on, and based on that, the mind has an investment to be right about the feeling, and the, probably the feeling pers- will persist just as it seems to be. How could it not? Mind, it proceeds from mind. The mind wants to be right about something. It basically, everything is seemingly so. People, how many times, if I've met people who don't have a good opinion of themselves, let's say. It doesn't matter how many people say, hey, you're cool, this and that. They're just waiting for that one person who's like yawns or something at a talk, and they're on to that. Because the mind incessantly wants to be right about how small they are. Fuck it. Yeah. So, there is a freedom and it's available. And it's a living freedom, so you'll find out about it. 
by living, and you're going to be the vehicle for that mind expressing that freedom if it so desires, if the grace is available. Yeah? You've heard the possibilities. You've been served the spiritual subpoena. See what happens. Yeah? I found I had to do less and less when I heard this message than all the other things I was practicing before. <laughs> that didn't really get anywhere, in a sense. <laughs> this has been the easiest off the way, by far. <laughs> oh, I gotta go to two meetings a week because I'm the one who's giving them to be supposedly. <laughs> that's the only reason why. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Just to be reminded of the possibility, because the mind would love the closed tent, you know. Everyone else is basically covertly or overtly. It's, that's how the mind's trying to read everyone else. Everyone's saying, stay small, stay small. Don't make any noise. Don't, you know, like I hear people share, oh, the light was so great, but... You know, they always have the insanity, always has to bookend any infrequent experience of being free. They always have to pledge allegiance to the incessant bondage. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm, in, I'm with you. I'm in it with you guys. You know what I mean? We're all fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People get more, get a more sense of, of feeling about we're all fucked than one person standing up and being radically free. And they don't particularly usually like that. <laughs> like they said, there was a guy, uh, uh, what's his name? Reich. Wilhelm Reich. Right. Yeah. He received a lot of crazy things, but I liked him a lot. In the 50s, and actually the government of the United States imprisoned him, and he got really sick there, and he died when he got out, and they destroyed all those false papers and stuff. But he was also dealing with hormone energy and the orgasm about sexual energy, and you know, society didn't like the idea, you know. <coughs> so he wrote a book called The Murder of Christ. And uh, <coughs> when I was younger, I was living in Santa Cruz, and we we, we created a fundraiser, and so what we did was we had all these people and, and stores donate things, and then the, all the people that did it set it up. We picked the ones we wanted, <laughs> so we, we, we fixed the, the lottery of who was going to win the drawings, and I got this Hindu astrology thing. I was interested in it. I was like 18, 19. Went up into the, like Ben Lohman, that area, went in the mountains, saw this guy, and he told me he wanted me to read two books. The Ramayana, which I did, and then this book, The Murder of Christ, I did. Got the book, I read it, and the first chapter was he's talking about, this guy Will Reich, about the emotional plague of man. Basically, it, this stubborn reluctance to open up to what you are, yeah, basically. And he says, all right, everyone is in cahoots with this. The story is that you do anything to get out of it, but you really don't want to get out of it. That's the story. The story is, oh, who wouldn't want to be free, but you don't want to be free. So you're wearing this big milu, and so what they do is they build like organized religions and stuff to point to being out of it, but never having any intention of taking anyone out of, out of the, just to make you feel better being in the trap, supposedly, yeah? And then schooling and everything like this. I sounded, hey, this sounds like fucking familiar, you know? <laughs> and then it says, all right, so this guy and Christ... Just using as an example, when Christ showed up, uh, everyone was like really happy to see him. Man, fucking Christ, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then three years later, the same people were calling for his crucifixion because he was too much of a reminder. 
you know, of being free. They liked the sound of it, but then after a while they couldn't override it, and it started irritating them, because they were people who wanted to want to be free, but they didn't want to be free. And he said, you know, everyone, and so what they do is they crucify it, and that's what we're doing to our kids now, he would talk about in the educational system. We're crucifying the Christ. As soon as they get caught up in the educational system, their imagination gets diminished, and this and that, and this. And it's like a crucifixion, basically. So the herd keeps on neutering the herd that comes after them, so that everyone stays in the herd. And I remember I had a, a cartoon I wanted to do about awakening, where there's a, a flatbed pickup with the slat um, wood, and the sign, and there's all these cows on the, on the back, and on the sign it says meat, macking, meat packing plant. And, I, and so there's all these cows here, you know, just like this, and one's like this, and I say the awakened one. <laughs> the one cow realizes what's going on. He's going to get become a stake, you know what I mean? That's the thing. Yeah. So he kept pointing that out. That was an incredible event for me when I was that age. I started seeing this whole idea of this feeling of wanting to be free that makes you feel good as the bound person. Yeah? This bound idea. And I didn't see how mind used what I call these noble things just to do its insidious agenda. Like, it could easily wear a uniform of tats and leather jackets and be a junkie. And it can just as easily wear whites and have a loving gaze and be identified as that. The parasite always hiding, you know? Because nothing here is more noble can override the meaning of the mind. 8,000 year old uh, paths or traditions can be overridden by the mind, can be co-opted by it, like Thrunkhamaranpache says, you know, anything the mind comes in contact with, the ego he used, it takes advantage of. That's what its movement is, is the claim. It doesn't matter about religion or this and that. There's no nobility to it. The only thing that it would respect is a power greater than it, really. And that's you. It's using the our juice to produce its version of life here. A life surrounding you all day. Yeah, all about you. It's using our energy to make that seem to be so. Yeah. Like in recovery, what you do is you surrender. You realize you're overmatched. And you just give up. You say, hey, I'm just not managerial quality. And you surrender. And it's a sort of, in a way, it's demoralizing because this, this drive to control is so incessant and urge. But when it stops, and then a possibility that wasn't available, when it's suddenly available, you get sober. Yeah. Things happen. You disengage to be truly engaged. In a sense... The question isn't what you're doing, but who's doing it, you know? It reminds me of a, a Lady Wade quote that true humility is the absence of anyone to be proud of. Yeah, exactly. And like, like this false humility is like, you know, like before what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there was a guy called, uh, who passed away, he was a nice guy, uh, I forgot his name, he was a Jesuit monk from, uh, India, actually. He used to talk about selfishness. No. He says, yeah, Anthony DeMello, he would say, everyone's fucking selfish. There's no way you're not selfish here. The modality of mind is selfish. It's, it's programmed to be interested in its own 
interest. Yes? Give me a break. You're not going to break that as that. <laughs> the thing is, you're not that. Yeah? To work in it, trying to attempt to change it, is fucking fool's play. You're not it. Yeah? And then it changes. It has to, because you're not it. The biggest plug has been pulled out. You. Yeah? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, it's been your energy that's been making everything seem to be so. So, yeah. That's it. Any questions? We can sit here for three minutes and enjoy the silence. Ah, oh, fuck it. We went to, we did a talk on Monday. If you got around, come Monday. We were in this room at this bookstore, open secret bookstore. They had about at least 400, no, maybe 200 deities or pictures of deities. It was like a nuclear reactor in there. (laughs) Seriously. The silence was so freaking loud, and it was accelerating. Talk about a feeling, but this feeling is like a chariot to head to the to the celestial realm. The silence was deafening, and it was accelerating. Yeah, and if you would have really went with it, you could have just probably popped out. It was really nice. I enjoyed it. I wonder why you know. And then you come here. We produce a certain effect here, but it didn't have the same feeling. Well, obviously, this is ammonia. You know. Cleaned and all that. But uh, I know I have my room. My room in my house is sort of like that. I got this huge Kuan Yin I found, and I got a couple of Buddhas, and this guy got a, we call it the space capsule. It's got a nice energy in there. And it's really nice to sit and go to a place. I really enjoyed that talk on Monday. Eh? Didn't you feel it when you were there? Yeah. yeah. It's impressive.